Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Living Life Inside Out. Today, I'd like to talk to you about living life inside out. Amen? Living life inside out. And it's going to be a three-part series, and we'll start this morning with part one. Then we'll take a break next week for Pastor Carla, all the way from Nairobi, Kenya, who will be ministering on Sunday the 15th. After that, we'll pick up the series the last two Sundays of March. Amen? So in order for me to get the concept of living inside out over to you, I'm going to have to spend a few minutes talking about the three-part nature of man, spirit, soul, and body. Because if you don't have a fundamental understanding of the three-part nature of man, it's going to be really hard for you to grasp the concept of living life inside out. So let's begin with Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Amen. So in the beginning, there was a council of what theologians call the Godhead. And they decided in this council to create man in the image and likeness of God. So right here in Genesis 1.26, we get the first notion of a God who is holy. We call this concept of a holy God who is one God, yet exists in three separate personas. We call that the Godhead or the Trinity. Amen. And we find it in Scripture in several places, but the one I'd like to start with is 1 John 5.7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Amen. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. If we go over to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, verse 1, we find out some things about this person called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, in eternity... Before the universe was created, there was this triune being, the Godhead, the Trinity, that was composed of the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And if you read on in verse 2 through verse 13, you find out that this Word was God's agent of creation. And everything we see around us in the created universe was created by the Word. Amen. And then in verse 14, it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word that coexisted with God in eternity, that always existed and always will exist, at the appointed time became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. It was the seed of God that met with the egg of Mary the Virgin that produced somebody that was 100% God and yet 100% man. He wasn't 50-50. He was 100% God, 100% man, fully God, and fully man. Amen. Hallelujah. So before the incarnation, before the Word became flesh, it was proper to refer to the Trinity as God the Father, God the Word, and God the Holy Spirit. Afterwards, as we find out from the words of Jesus, it was fashionable to say it another way. Let's pick it up at Matthew, 20, Matthew 28, verse 19. 
Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So after Jesus took on flesh, after God became a man, the Godhead or the Trinity was defined by Jesus as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I like to think about it like this. God altered the Trinity so a man could sit in the Godhead at the right hand of God. Somebody that's just like us, amen? He chose to become one of us so he would know what it would be like to be a human being, amen? Thus, he became the perfect sacrifice for our sins, amen? But since Jesus is the living word, he always has been and always will be, it's still proper to refer to the Trinity as God the Father, God the Word, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen? You can use the two terms interchangeably. Amen. Everybody got that? There'll be a quiz afterwards. <laughs> Hallelujah. And John does exactly that in 1 John 5, 7. And he says, God is Father, God is Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet He is one. Now, the point of all of that is to say this. We were made in similar fashion by the Father God. We are spirit, soul, and body, yet we are one. When my wife came in this morning to church, I didn't say, here comes my wife, and her spirit is not far behind. No, because her spirit and soul are currently dwelling in her body, yet she has one. She has three components, yet she has one person. If you're having trouble visualizing the Trinity, like most of us do, I don't think any of us are ever going to be able to completely understand the Trinity. But if you're having trouble with the basic concept, you just need to look at yourself in the mirror and realize that you are a spirit being that has a soul attached to it that lives in a body. And yet you are one whole person. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. So we are spirit, soul, and body, and yet we are one just like God. Now, there's a lot of people out there in Christendom that teach that the spirit and the soul are the same. And if you believe that, you're going to get confused when you talk about things like living life inside out. Amen. So I want to begin with 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and show you in the scripture that man is indeed three separate parts. It is scriptural. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't it wonderful to know that God is interested in all three parts of your being your spirit your soul and your body think about it like this when Adam and Eve fell from grace in the garden they fell first spiritually then in their soul and then in their body and so if Jesus is going to reverse that whole process, he had to begin with the spirit. Amen. So I want to point out that in this verse here, there are three separate Greek words. Spirit is the word pneuma. It means breath. Remember, the Bible says in Genesis that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, the breath of God, and he became a living soul. I like to think about it like this. He had all the components to have a soul, but it wasn't energized until the Spirit of God entered into his body, activated his brain and his body, so that the second and the third part of his three-part being were activated. He became spirit, 
soul, and body. Am I confusing anybody? Everybody with me? All right, so that word is pneuma. It means the breath of God. And then the word for soul is the word suke. It's spelt psyche. It's the same word we get psychology from in the English language. It means the study of the mind. So we can discern that suke is the mind, the will, the emotions, the personality. Amen. It's a bit of an oversimplification, but it is true. And then, of course, the body is the Greek word soma. Soma. Anybody ever heard of a condition called psychosomatic illness? Psycho comes from the word psyche, soma, body. Mind affecting body. There are some people that convince themselves over a period of time that they have some dread disease and they think about it long enough and it manifests in their body. That's a psychosomatic illness. Don't do that to yourself. Think healthy thoughts. Amen. Hallelujah. So you also find the concept of man being a three part being in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's so much in this verse. I'm only going to be able to hit the high points. But you see, evidently, the spirit and the soul, according to this scripture, are so closely intertwined that it takes the two-edged sword of the word of God to tell where one ends and the other begins. I teach it like this. I believe that the spirit and soul in combination together are the heart of man. Peter talks about the hidden man of the heart. I believe that's a reference to the spirit who's hidden in the heart of man. Your spirit and soul combined together is the heart of man. Amen. And then we talk about the joints and marrow which is a reference to the body. Okay? Even the body has a mysterious connection to the soul. The brain is a physical organ, and yet it gives, it gives birth to abstract thought that exists outside of the natural body. That's a mystery. So even spirit and soul are connected in mysterious ways. Even so, the spirit, soul, and the body are connected in mysterious ways that we may not completely understand till we get on the other side. Till we get to heaven. Amen. And one thing, this is a little bit of a side journey. It says that the two-edged sword of the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So if the heart is your spirit and soul in combination, then the word of God is able to discern whether a thought emanates from your spirit or from your soul. How many have ever asked yourself the question when you heard what you thought was a voice on the inside? Was that me or was that God? We've all had that thought. We've all had to ask ourselves that question. Well, one of the ways that you can be prepared to answer definitively that question is fill yourself up with the word of God, because it is the two edged sword of the word of God that will discern for you whether that thought is spirit or soul. Amen. Glory to God. I won't charge you anything extra for that, even though I didn't intend to say it. All right, so let's move on to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Very familiar to most of us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I want to point some things out to you that may not be intuitively obvious with a surface reading. In verse 1, we see that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. So the body is addressed. In verse 2, we are to be conformed to the dictates of heaven, not conformed to the world, by the renewing of our mind. So there, the mind, which is a part of the soul, so the soul is addressed. So we can apply a process of elimination to this passage and realize that the only part of your three-part being that is not mentioned specifically is your spirit. Why is that? Well, the reason becomes clear if you study other scriptures, if you study the whole counsel of God. As we're going to find out, if you've made Jesus your Lord, if you are born again, the Bible says your spirit is already perfect, already righteous, and already holy. Amen? I'll say it again. If you're born again, if Jesus is your Lord, your spirit is already righteous, already perfect, already holy. It doesn't need to be worked on like your soul and your body. Your soul and your body are progressively saved through a process of time. Amen. But your spirit is instantly made like God when you say yes to Jesus. Amen. Let me show you that in the scripture. Don't take my word for it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. Amen. There's a new creation on the inside of you. And the Greek word there, it it means a creature without precedent that never before existed, now exists in you if you've said yes to Jesus. Now I confess to you that I do not understand the mechanics of how that happens. How God is able to take your old dead spirit out and put a new live spirit in, I do not know. But the Bible says He did, so I believe it. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And everything that's in me in my spirit now is of God. Now all things are of God on the inside. And I'll show you why we know that later. Okay? Glory to God. And then you go on down to 2 Corinthians 5.21. And he says, For he, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. When you said yes to Jesus, when you got born again, you became the righteousness of God in him. That phrase in him is very important. It's not because of anything you did. It's not because of your performance. It's because of what he did. It's because of his performance that he has conferred upon you his righteousness. Amen. You need to humbly accept that. You need to say, yes, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but without him, I would be nothing. That's the proper balance there. Don't have to get haughty or high minded. Amen. So then we come to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. That sort of helps us flesh out this concept. A little bit more completely, and I give you the 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 background behind this verse in the first 21 chapters, it talks about 
the encounter of the Israelites in the wilderness with Mount Sinai, which was a mountain of judgment. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was darkness, there was the voice of God that was so powerful, it frightened the people, it even frightened Moses. So you got a contrast between this mountain of judgment, Sinai, and now he says here in verse 22, the writer of the Hebrews says, but you have come to a different mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Listen to this, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all to the spirits of just men made perfect. So here we see in this passage that the part of you that is made perfect when you accept Jesus as your Lord is your spirit. It is scriptural to say that you have a perfect spirit in you after you have confessed Jesus as Lord, after you have been born again. Amen? Hallelujah. I like that. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. You know, that includes me and you on the earth, as well as the believers that are already in heaven. We're all a part of the church of the firstborn. Amen. Hallelujah. We're all citizens of heaven. Glory to God. We have spirits that have been made perfect by the Lord himself. We are just men and women made perfect by Jesus Christ. Amen. In our spirit. All right. So this passage also makes it clear that the only way you can become perfect is to be made perfect first in your spirit. It begins with your spirit. Amen. We can get into heaven because we're perfect on the inside. God is not judging us on the outside. He's judging us by what he sees on the inside. And when he looks on the inside, he sees someone that looks just like Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. All right. He makes us perfect by giving us a new spirit, a new nature that's just like his. That's what it means to be born again. Our entire nature has changed. We need to start seeing that in the spirit and we need to start walking it out by faith. Amen. You know, there's a teaching that we have a sin nature. We don't have a sin nature anymore, not on the inside. What we have is the remnant of a sin nature in our bodies and in our soul. On the inside, we have a new nature. And we need to live by that nature, not by the old nature. Amen? I want to talk for a few minutes about the old man versus the new man. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Awesome verse. It says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Listen, before you got born again, you were by nature a child of wrath, a child of the devil. But after you got born again, you received a new nature. Amen? Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 talks about that. Verse 22 says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Yes, you've got the remnants of the old man in your flesh that's used to doing things the way you did before you got born again. But that man can be overcome by the new man that's on the inside. So you need to put off the old man and put on the new man. My wife and I have had this discussion about being put-ons in church. You know, you drive to church and you and your wife, when you have your best arguments, is on the way to church. Isn't that right? Even if you're the pastor. And then you come through the door and you got to put your holy face on, your holy persona on. Bless God, it's so good to see you this morning. We love you. And Trish always says to me, I can't, I don't like doing that. It's like I'm putting on. It's not who I really am. It depends on who you think you really are. If you think that old ugly person is the real you, then that's, that's wrong thinking, you know? If you put on the new man, you're putting on Christ, amen? You're doing it by faith. And you can do that. You can do that. You can be a put on for Jesus because it's scriptural. The Bible says, put off the old man and put on the new man. You know, sometimes you run into people that push all the wrong buttons, right? It's really hard to walk in love with them. Well, you know, I like to say it like this. Well, you need to love them anyway. Because the Bible says you do, you know, over there in Galatians 5, it says that love, joy, peace, a bunch of good things are already resident in you. So you might as well start acting like what's on the inside of you is true. Amen. Amen. Is that helping anybody? Hallelujah. You know, I have progressed a lot in walking in love. The area that I'm really working on is driving in love. I'm still having some trouble in that area. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. So, let me back up. Although part of you, your spirit man, has been made righteous, holy, and perfect, just like God, it's only the beginning. In fact, we've said this many times here in this church, the challenge of the Christian walk is to get what's inside of you to show up on the outside. Amen? That is the challenge of the Christian walk. Amen? Amen. That's what I call living life inside out. Amen? Hallelujah. Living from what's on the inside of you and learning to pull it out on the outside so people can see that you look just like Jesus. Amen? We need to know what's in us is born-again, spirit-filled believers, and we need to work that from the inside to the outside in our lives on a continual basis. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, talk about this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That says to me that there's something on the inside of you working so that you do his good pleasure. That man on the inside is working. He's trying to work himself from the inside out. So to me, to work out my salvation with fear and trembling is to work what's in me to the outside. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
This passage is not talking about working out your salvation in the flesh because you can't work what's in you to the outside by willpower alone. You just can't do it. It's by faith in God's transforming word and following the will of the spirit that you're going to be able to influence the other two parts of your three part being. That is your soul and your body. Amen. Glory to God. I hope this is helping people. It's helping me. Hallelujah. All right. We've got to renew our minds to the word of God and put on the new man that lives on the inside of us. Amen. So let's readdress Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to be renewed to the word of God so he can be in sync with your spirit man. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There it is again. And that you put on the new man. Listen to this. Which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old man and put on the new man because he looks just like God. To renew your mind to the things of God. To put on that new man, you have to feed on what he constantly craves. And he craves the word of God. Whether you realize it or not, there's a man and a woman inside of you that always wants to read, study, and meditate on the word of God. That always wants to worship. That always wants to pray. That always wants to walk in love. There is a man on the inside of you just like that. You just need to let him out. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And the reason he craves the word of God is because it was the word of God that birthed that man in the first place. First Peter 1 Peter 1.23 says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You got born again by the seed of the word of God. Amen. So that man who was born by the word of God has to have the word. So feed him the word. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to talk about James chapter one, because it is a perfect illustration of what I call the mirror of God's word, the mirror of God's word. James chapter one, verse 21, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's talking about the word of God, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and it's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Amen. Amen. So when you look into the mirror of the word of God, you begin to see the man on the inside, the new man that God made. You don't see a reflection of who you are on the outside. You see a reflection of who you are on the inside. Amen. You begin to realize that all the good things that make up the nature and character of Jesus Christ already live inside of you. 
Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we already alluded to it earlier. If you've been born again, this is true. This is inside you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, you may not always feel like these things are in you, but the Bible says these things are in you. The love of God is in you. The capacity to put that love on even for difficult people is in you. If you've got a problem with anger, self-control lives on the inside of you. It is possible for you to maintain self-control even in the most strident circumstances. You can control yourself, okay? You just got to believe it, and you got to start walking it out by faith. Amen? Hallelujah. And one of the ways you can begin to pull these things from the inside out is by meditating on and declaring what the Word says is living inside of you. Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you have to walk around the house saying it like this, do it. Hey, listen, the fruit of the Spirit lives in me. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control abound on the inside of me, and I will walk it out by faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. That was fun to say that. I want to conclude by saying this. When you find out who you are and what's inside of you in Christ, it changes everything. When your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, when your soul gets the revelation of who you are in Christ Jesus, it begins to change the way that you think. And if you change the way that you think, you begin to change the way that you act. And if you change the way you act, you change the way you live your life. You start walking and talking and acting and thinking like Jesus. You begin to turn away from sin and you begin to operate in the authority that Jesus delegated unto you. You put the devil on the run. Instead of being afraid of him, he's terrified of you. When you begin to think like God, you're more careful about what you watch, what you listen to, and what you say. When your soul man begins to think like your spirit man, your heart becomes unified. The soul, the mind is the battlefield. He is the middleman. If the spirit and soul are in combination together and they're in unity and they're on the same page, the body simply has to follow. It has to toe the line. If your soul and your spirit ever get on the same page, great things happen in your life. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Amen. As I said, when your spirit and soul get on the same page, the body simply has to follow. But... I will caution you, if you allow the soul to feed on the things of the world, then the soul will side with the flesh, with the body, and pull the body in a direction that you don't want him to go. Amen? So capture the middleman. 
Renew your mind to the Word of God. Train your mind, will, emotions, personality to line up with the dictates of the spirit man. And when you do, it'll be easy to walk out who you are in Christ. It'll be easy to start living life inside out. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Forrest's message, Living Life Inside Out. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.